0: I'd like to return this morning to Acts chapter 2 to introduce our thoughts. This morning we'd like to focus on the description of the original church in one accord, in unity, in one heart and in one soul, a singleness of heart. And we're so thankful for the depiction of the original church in the book of Acts of what the Lord can do with a body that is functioning in perfect unity. And the Lord can do special things with a church that's in unity. And that's what we find, obviously, with the original church here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, and I hope that you know these verses very well by now. We'll introduce verse 42 and then go to verses 46 and 47. Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord. That is a consistent consistent phrase all throughout the book of Acts. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now back up to verse 42, and don't miss the, the togetherness, I guess you could say, of this verse. They continued steadfastly. Now, obviously the way that the global body of the church continues steadfastly in each of these four things is if the individual members are doing it, right? But don't miss the fact that they continued steadfastly together. Together, right? And how is many different ways in which unity is built. And one of the most important aspects is here in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. In apostles' doctrine, we have fellowship in the gospel. The the true banner under which the what's the best way to put this the fullness of the kingdom of God is experienced is under true fellowship in the same gospel that's the apostles doctrine and what I mean by that is uh, I don't want to negatively disparage other churches that don't have the correct rightly dividing of eternal salvation and baptism and other things, and we would believe that those stances that they hold are not according to the word of God. However, they are experiencing some degree of the kingdom of God, right? I think sometimes we maybe get a little bit too prideful in the primitive Baptist church and pretend like we're the only person that the Lord smiles upon. Well, no, that's not the case. But the Lord smiles more widely and his, in his he, I believe, Uh, delivers his spirit more manifestly when we worship truly in spirit and in truth. There's a lot of people worshiping in the right spirit, they just don't don't have the truth that they need. And that truth, that not having the truth that they need, I believe, hinders them from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of heaven in the manner that God intends them to. Okay, But we shouldn't ever have the attitude that the primitive Baptist church is the only people that are the kingdom of God. Well, that's not true. We've, we've talked in depth about the various aspects of the kingdom of God, right? The global, um, I guess you could say the church, church triumphant aspect of the kingdom of God. And then you have the kingdom of God that resides inside the heart of every single child of God. The kingdom is within you but what we're trying to focus on is the kingdom of heaven in regards to our interactions in the church and the closest people that you're going to have or you should have the closest fellowship with here in this world are those that believe the same apostles doctrine that we find in the word of God, right? Now, we can still have fellowship in Christ with other like-minded believers of other denominations, right? And we should, right? We should have fellowship in Christ, but we can't have the same fellowship in the gospel with those who simply believe a different gospel. The New Testament would call it another gospel. We can't have that close, intimate fellowship when they believe a different gospel, even though we can have fellowship in Jesus Christ. So you can't have this intimacy of fellowship without a commitment to sound doctrine. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And breaking of bread, I mean, certainly that's true of communion. You know, we talked about unity, communion. The, the etymology of that word is pretty obvious. A common union, right? And what's the definition or the root word of a union? Well, that, that would come from unity, right? So a common unity. Well, the reason we have a common unity that we uh, partake of the communion service is because of the, our belief and confession in the apostles' Doctrine, right? You can't, you can't separate these things. Uh, they, these are all intricately connected, right? And then certainly in prayers. I believe that we've seen before, as we've considered prayer, but it will be highlighted today as well, hopefully, that the more we pray together collectively— it creates a unity among the body of Christ, right? When we're all beseeching together with the right heart and with the right mind the blessings of the Lord, all of those build unity. But again, don't miss in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. They continued together, together in the body of Christ. Verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord, that word one accord literally means of one mind or just unanimous, unanimously. They were all functioning with the same mindset and with the same goals and with the same desires. And what is that mind? When we talk about being of one accord, and that one accord led to them having a desire to break bread from a house to house. They wanted to spend time. With those they had fellowship with in the gospel they wanted to spend time with like-minded believers and they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart singleness of heart again the lord can do special and powerful things with a church that's in unity and one accord in one heart and one soul and singleness of heart but as with our natural bodies if the body is not in unity and one side is trying to go to the left and one sides going to the right well that body is going to be stumbling and bumbling all over right it's not going to be functioning properly <clears throat> and then we see the effect of that the effect of a church that's functioning in unity praising God having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved so if the church is supposed to function with one mind and with one heart then what should be that mind? what should be that mind? let's go to Philippians chapter 2 we know the depiction of the church as the body of Christ that we are the members of the body and who is the head? who is the head of the body? Well, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, right? And as we know, if your body's functioning properly, your brain, your head, sends directives and impulses to all the rest of the body. So let's say if someone, in a natural sense, if their brain is telling their hand to do something, but their hand is just sitting there idle and not doing anything, well, that's an, an indication that there's some disconnect in the neurons between the brain and then the hand, right? So a body is not going to function properly unless every part of that body is submitting to the impulses of the head. And who is that head? That's well, Jesus Christ, right? That's a pretty simple way to think about unity. We are all submitting to the mind of Christ. We're submitting not to our own thoughts and our own opinions, but we're submitting to the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> and in verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, and notice this, fellowship of the Spirit. Now fellowship and communion are used, uh, those words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And we've already talked about communion. is a common union, a common unity. Right. So if you're going to have fellowship, you're going to have a common unity. Well, how do you have fellowship? In the spirit. Right. You know, that's why we don't have a common unity, a communion, a fellowship. We don't have a common unity with those that are in the world that are living down in uh, the wickedness of this world that are not displaying a belief in Jesus Christ and not walking according to the dictates of God's word right we don't have a common unity with them right you don't have a common unity with this world why the main reason is because this world does doesn't have the guidance and the leadership of the spirit right the fellowship of the spirit well how do you have true common unity through the Holy Spirit so your head if you think about the body Jesus Christ is the head how do those impulses get down to all the rest of the members through the Holy Spirit. That, that's the nervous system. It's also the blood system. It's, it's, it sustains the health of every member of the body. How, how do we know what the mind of Christ is? We are in tune with the Holy Spirit, right? So fellowship of the Spirit. Bowels of mercies. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Okay, well, how do we have the same mind? By submitting to the Holy Spirit, which will always guide you to have the mind of Christ, right? Be like-minded, having the same love. Now, obviously, if Jesus Christ is the head and the Spirit is sending the impulses to the rest of the body, then if we're submitting to that, then we're going to have the same love that Jesus has because that's the impulses he's sending, right? He's sending the... Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And what those are is not separate actions that necessarily dictate the Holy Spirit. What that is is these are the symptoms where you can identify the Holy Spirit is already there. Okay? So what I mean by that is when you see love being exhibited, True agape love, self sacrificial love being exhibited, you don't necessarily look and say, Oh, that's really good fruit. No, you look at it and say, That's the Holy Spirit, right? The reason why that fruit's coming out is the Holy Spirit. So, therefore, if we go back to the root, then we should all be exhibiting the same agape love. Why? Because it should all be stemming from the Holy Spirit, right? Let nothing be done. Through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. "...but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So what is the mind of Christ going to lead you to do? Back up to verse 3. "...let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind." Now what we hope to talk about before we conclude... Or what are some dangers and some hindrances and some barriers to unity? And I would say the primary ones that we're going to focus on is pride and gossip. Pride and gossip. Now, what's the opposite of pride? What's the opposite of pride? Now, we know one of the attributes of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and evidence that the Spirit is moving is what? Meekness, which is very close to humility, right? Meekness. Well, these verses display meekness let nothing be done through strife or vain glory that sounds a lot like exalting yourself a little bit vain glory but the opposite of that in contrast but in opposite of you exalting yourself in vain glory but in contrast to that in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves well that's meekness isn't it that's meekness and that meekness was displayed in the life of Jesus Christ perfectly. Um, You know, we all have strengths, we all have uh, attributes and talents, and just in a natural plane, if we looked at that in a neutral sense, there are some people that have positives in some areas and negatives in some areas, and there's a sense in which you may be more talented in this specific area than someone else. However, just because you are more talented, in this specific area does not mean that you exalt yourself above that other person. Instead, you should go the exact opposite direction, right? And you should esteem others better than themselves in hopes that maybe, if that's a weakness for them, maybe you can uh, use your strength to elevate them in an area that may be a weakness for them. You know, something I think that maybe we miss in the body of Christ is that unity... Does not mean uniformity. Okay? Make sure we understand that. Unity does not mean uniformity. God has ordained and appointed diversity in the body of Christ. And that's highlighted. I really don't want to go through all of 1 Corinthians 12, but I do want to get the language here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4 now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit, okay? We have to understand as we interact, and this, this applies in the, our local body, this applies in our interactions with sister churches, it applies in just our natural relationships, and it applies in the workplace. There is no area of life where having a greater understanding of people are unique and it's good that they're unique and we should view that diversity as a good thing and not try to put everybody into the same mold to think and act just like I think and just like I act right it would be horrible it would be absolutely horrible if everyone in the church was just like me you can amen that that's okay right And you should be able to look in the mirror and say the same thing, right? If everyone approached every situation with the exact same mindset and with the exact same perspectives and reached, followed the same process and then finally reached the same conclusions in every little bitty thing, that would no longer be a body, right? You know that your hand has different functions, your foot has different functions, all your internal organs, and God has, has weaved all of that diversity together to work in perfect unity. And how does it work in perfect unity? Because all of your body listens to the direction of your head, right? That's why the body works in unity. But our problem is, and I'm, I'm prone to this, and you know that you are too. We can be honest together. Most of the time, we just want people to agree with us and say that we're right about everything and think the same way that we think and act the same way that we act. But that's not unity, that's just uniformity. I want someone to act just like I act and look just like I act, say say the same things and reach all the same conclusions, but that's not a positive thing in the body because you need to have this diversity of spiritual gifts to help all these different needs. We've talked about this in depth and all the different spiritual gifts that are vital to the health of the body of Christ and you can become unbalanced if you have too much in one spiritual gift that's too heavy-handed but you don't have the other spiritual gifts to kind of level that out you know what i mean by that is you know we talk about uh, romans chapter 12 and those various spiritual gifts well you can have people that are very structured and have the gift of ruling and have the gift of leadership and organization well you also have to have some people that are a little bit more compassionate and merciful instead of it just being uh, rigid rules all the time right and then but you know what those same people if you give them a, a task if you give them something to engage in they're probably gonna have different perspectives they're gonna have a different route and process to solve the problem and they're probably going to reach a different conclusion. And that is okay. Right? That's okay. That's good. That's good. Because that's the diversity that we need in the body of Christ. But our problem is we have a very difficult time because we're just naturally so prideful. and It's just the flesh. The Spirit makes us meek but If the Spirit's ruling and reigning in our heart, the manner that ought to. But we're all naturally prideful. I'm not immune to that, and you're not either. We all just want people to agree with us because that's that's a lot easier, isn't it? (laughs) It's a lot easier than really showing true agape love with people who disagree with us, and still being willing to submit to unity in the diversity of the body of Christ. So. Unity is not uniformity. It's not people just acting just like me. It, it would be horrible if everyone in the church acted just like me and had the same attitudes and the same perspectives and always reached the same conclusions. But we can use that diversity to all be submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And if we're all doing that, the the body will function so much more actively and healthy than if everyone just agree with me all the time. Okay? But the challenge and the hurdle of unity (laughs) is saying I really do want to exalt someone else's opinions over my own if we believe that's where the leadership of the Holy Spirit is going. Right? That, That takes humility. It takes humility to say I'm the one that is willing to take a back seat to submit and defer to someone else. You know, we talk a lot about um, in that early church, the breaking of bread. I think they partook of communion maybe every week. Again, this is the church in its first love. And they were just so excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they probably partook of that every week. But you wanna know something else they probably did every week? They may have washed one another's feet every single week. Now, if we did that, it would become too mundane, and I think it's beneficial to have a little bit of a separation. We do it twice a year here, and other people do it more frequently. But during the church and its first love, while these people who, (laughs) uh, you know, I don't really think we have that vast difference of backgrounds to where any disagreement we're going to have is fairly trivial in the big scheme of things. But if you read the New Testament and you see this huge uh, schism between Gentiles and Jews, right? These Jews who were still trying to hang on to a little bit of the law and these Gentiles who hadn't fully figured out everything of rejecting all this paganism. And you have this significant rift in every single church between people with a Jewish perspective and people with a Gentile perspective. Don't you know it was beneficial for them? You know, any trivial disagreement that we may have is nothing compared to the Jews and the Gentiles' issues in the first century. Don't you think it was beneficial for them for e- e- probably every week to bow down and say, you know what? <sighs> Man, we had, a real, we had a real disagreement this week. And you know what? I still think he's dead wrong about such and such. But you know what? I'm going to bow down and I'm going to wash his feet. I'm going to tell him that I love him. Don't you know that it was beneficial for them to do that every single week? <laughs> now, logistically with us, we would take it for granted, and we, we, it's not beneficial for us to do that every week. But we need to show up to church every week with that mindset, though, right? Even if we don't physically go down and bow and wash one another's feet, because what we're doing in that is esteeming others better than themselves. We're exhibiting a lowliness of mind in ourselves. And I tell you, there's nothing that Satan wants more in a in the church and in the body of Christ and the local body and in the kingdom as a whole than for people to exhibit pride and to cause division and to fracture unity. There's nothing that Satan wants more. Pride—it's in our flesh, but boy, Satan—that's his chief attribute. I mean, if you want to say if you want to say that Jesus. Chief attribute is love and and humility and meekness. Satan's chief attribute is pride. That's the whole reason that Lucifer rebelled against God anyway. He was a beautiful morning star. And being lifted up with pride, he decided to rebel against Almighty God. And there there are um, cautions and warnings that when you're considering someone be ordained to an elder don't let him be a novice don't let him be a a person who's not well trained and and seasoned and experienced lest if he is a novice lest he being lifted up with pride be ensnared in condemnation of the devil that's what satan wants satan wants he wants nothing more than every member of the body of Christ to be lifted up in pride, but there's nothing he, he covets more than to have a, a man of the ministry lifted up in pride because he's the one who's supposed to be the meek person, that's the shepherd that's, that's trying to reconcile various people uh, that are the inevitable small little conflicts that we're going to have in the body. But if the minister is lifted up in pride, boy, Satan has a great foothold. In that body, so pride comes and is always going to be stoked and stirred up by Satan. Now what's the exact opposite of that? What's the exact opposite of pride? It's the Holy Spirit's fruit of meekness which is following the pattern of Jesus Christ. Uh, OK, we're going to come back to Philippians um, and look at one example that he specifically highlights in this um, in this epistle, but I want to go back to the book of Acts, and I want to just briefly survey um, this language of one accord exhibited in the original church in the book of Acts. Okay, so Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, remember Jesus went back up into heaven, and now he told them to wait for the uh, manifestation and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and what did they do? We've looked at this before, but I want to highlight this language. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. The 120 disciples were all together, right? They were together in unity, but and they have this prayer meeting because they're trying to decide who the replacement for Judas Iscariot's going to be, and they don't know. They don't know who the right person is, and they are submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in a significant major decision that they have to make. We don't know what the right thing to do is. We're submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit Lord, please guide us in to do the right thing according to your will. So they all showed up, Acts chapter 1, and in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And again, I, I believe, and we've, we have uh, neglected this more than we should, we should have specific designated time periods just for prayer, not brief little 60-second prayers three times during the worship service once a week. Because when we have needs in the and there's always needs in the body, but when there's great needs in the body, we the, the spirit should be moving all the members of that body to have a desire. You know, it's not up to me as the pastor to tell y'all, "Hey, we need to have a prayer meeting." No, the Spirit should be moving all the members of the body to where everyone's saying, you know what, we haven't done that in a while. We really need to pray for God's... It's not up for me to say, we do it quarterly. We do it this, this time period. The Spirit should be moving the members of the body that everyone should be saying, we need to be praying a lot more than we're praying, right? Not just sporadically throughout our regular worship service, but we need to have a specific time that's dedicated to that. And when you do, it builds unity. When you pray together, submitting to the leadership, if everyone's there with the right attitude and the Holy Spirit is in the room, it's really hard for all these petty conflicts to stay as, as uh, big of a deal as they were when we started praying, right? If the Holy Spirit's moving. So we need to be submitting to the leadership of the Spirit, and when we're in one accord, we'll be praying a lot more than than we are apart from that. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 4. Okay, Acts chapter 4 we've looked at this as well we know that this is the response of the original church to persecution and I also want to notice this language of one accord with them. You know thousands you know most of our churches in the realm of Christianity are, are quite small and we're in that number as well and it's it's a whole lot easier to have 10, 15, 20 people, even 50 people, even 100 people on the same page, than thousands upon thousands of people in unity. I mean, you want to talk about miracles. Let's just take a step back for a minute. And minimum of 8,120 people in the church at this time, but I've told you before, when they baptized 5,000 men, I don't think that was just men that showed up. There's probably... There may be fifteen thousand members of this church. Okay? And it says in verse twenty-four, they didn't have when that when those uh leaders threatened them, they didn't have a church conference and have a vote and say, Okay, this is what we took, this is what they told us. They threatened us. They said they're gonna throw go in prison. Let's have a vote. And ha and forty-nine percent of the church says, Well, we just really need to go along to get along, and we really just need to be quiet, we really just need to dial things back a little bit and then 51% said no 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 The, the preacher said oh no no we really need to preach every single member of the church had the exact same prayer on their heart and that was I think we need to understand that when we pray collectively in the church what we're doing you're not listening to someone else pray okay that's not what we do. You're not listening to someone else pray. We are all praying together. We're all praying together, and one person is voicing and leading us in praying together. You're not listening to somebody else pray. You're praying to the Lord, and someone is leading and guiding us in that. So the prayer that is, that is written down for us here is the prayer that was on the heart of every single member of the church that was in one accord. How amazing is that, right? How amazing is it that a church this big with this many people was in one accord, and as it describes here later, of one heart and one soul? How can you get 15,000 people on the same page on anything? The answer to that is you can't, right? You, we know that. There is no way that you get 15,000 people together and they're going to agree about anything. But the Holy Spirit can do some things that is unnatural. That's unnatural for 15,000 people to agree about. I mean, don't you think that there would be, you know, 15% of these people that were like, man, you know, we probably should just be quiet. We probably shouldn't preach the way we've been now we're causing problems we probably just need to be quiet there's not a single person in the church that felt that way right that is that can only happen through the holy spirit right there's the only way that 15,000 people could agree about anything is through the holy spirit so they approached with one accord and this was the prayer that was on the heart of every single member of the church with one accord And we know they prayed this prayer, they prayed for boldness, they prayed for courage. The Lord gave them boldness, he answered with an earthquake. Verse 32, the multitude of them that believed, this is everybody, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. How about that? Isn't that amazing? That is a very overlooked miracle. They were all in perfect unity. Now, what's one of the effects of that perfect unity? Well, they were moved to radical generosity that we've already considered. That's what we see through the rest of the chapter, that they were moved to sell their possessions because they were people that stood in need for their sacrifice for the kingdom. But the whole church at this time was of one heart and of one soul. Acts chapter 5 Just hit this one very quickly. This is a parenthetical statement as they're describing uh, the signs and the wonders. This is in verse 12. The signs and the wonders that were wrought among the people. And then the parenthetical statement at the conclusion of verse 12. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. In one accord and in unity. Then in Acts chapter 8, Philip is now preaching in Samaria and these are people who are just this tells you the power of the Holy Spirit of how it's moving during this time these are people that are coming from this mixed religious background in Samaria uh, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome in Samaria no doubt about it but when he preached to them Acts chapter 8 and in verse 6 and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake seeing hearing and seeing the miracles which he did these people from diverse backgrounds that had all these different wrong perspectives when when philip preached to the to them they received it with one accord okay acts chapter 15 acts chapter 15 and here they're dealing with a doctrinal issue there are people that are saying that you have to be circumcised to go to heaven there there are people that are saying not only do you got to be circumcised, you got to obey the whole law. And Paul and Barnabas hear about it, and they get very confused because these people are coming from Jerusalem, you know. So you have these few little people that have these, uh, these wrong ideas, but they're coming from Jerusalem. And then Paul and Barnabas hear this, they're like, what? what in the world are they talking about? Does this mean the whole church at Jerusalem believes this now? We got to go deal with this. So then they go back to Jerusalem, and they have this preacher meeting to deal with this and they reach the uh, the first article of faith of the church It'd be be inappropriate for us to go to acts chapter 15 and not read the first article of faith of the church their conclusion is that you don't need to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples of our fathers nor are they are able to bear verse 10 and then verse 11 but we believe that through the grace of our lord jesus christ we shall be saved even as they. We believe in salvation by grace alone, not by not grace plus circumcision, not grace plus the law, not grace plus anything. We believe in salvation by grace alone. And then the conclusion of this James, who is the James, the half brother of Jesus, who is the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. You have many elders in the church of Jerusalem, but you have one, James is always set apart as the spokesman and as the leader. And that's one attribute of a thriving kingdom that you have men being ordained and you have multiple elders in one church. That's how it should be. Unfortunately, we're just so anemic, we don't have enough, churches, uh, enough pastors to pastor the churches that we do have. But the biblical pattern is to have multiple elders because there's tremendous need in the body, right? But even though there's multiple elders in the church, There is one pastor, there is one leader, one final overseer of that body. So James stands up and he speaks on behalf of the whole church because he's the pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. Now, these were ministers that came together to deal with a significant divisive issue. And they all approached this with the right attitude, with a humility of mind, with a submission to the Holy Spirit. And notice his description of this. Acts chapter 15 and in verse 25 as he's giving his summary of the conclusion of this council, if you will. Acts 15 and verse 25. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So when these men met together, they were truly meeting together with one accord in submission of the Spirit, in submission to the Holy Spirit, to let the leadership of the Lord solve this problem. Now, unfortunately, it's been true in ministers' meetings in the past. It's been true in dealing with conflict in local church. Many times, it's just our nature and we're sinful. I mean, we're all men of like passions, men and women of like passions. Most of the time when we approach a conversation, we, whether we want to realize it or not or admit it or not, we approach it with preconceived notions that I'm right and you're wrong and my, the purpose of this, this meeting is for you to agree that I'm right and you're wrong. Right? That's just the way we are. We're sinful. And when we approach these meetings, many times we approach it with the attitude of, submission and compliance to get right that you agree with me instead of truly approaching it with one accord and submission to the Holy Spirit. And we're all prone to that. I'm prone to that too. Because guess what? Majority of the time, I think I'm right. And you do too. You can admit it. (laughs) You can admit it. You think you're right too. But a lot of the time I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And I need to have enough humility to allow the Holy Spirit, especially in these kind of tense, important meetings, to say, you know what, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. And if everyone's submitting to the Holy Spirit and they're not showing up with preconceived notions, I think the Lord will bless the meeting. And that applies in every area of interpersonal conflict, right? In every relationship that we have, in the workplace, do never approach a tense meeting of conflict with preconceived notions that you are unwilling to be proven wrong. We have to approach those with enough humility that if the circumstances dictate, that we could say, you know what? I'm most of the problem here. (laughs) I'm the one that's wrong. But to these people's credit, to these ministers' credit, They approached it with one accord in submission to the Holy Spirit. They said, these guys are heretics, and we're going to leave them alone. But this is what the church believes, and the Lord blessed a unification of the whole body when there was a significant possibility of a really divisive issue, right? But they approached it with the right attitude, with the right heart, and the Lord blessed it, and we thank the Lord for that. Okay, during the remainder of the time that we have, We want to try to consider at least two dangers and barriers to unity: pride and gossip. Pride and gossip. Now, there is nothing that will destroy unity faster than pride and all of its symptoms. Okay, there are many. Just like how we talk about. This is the spirit, and this is the fruit of the spirit. These are the attributes that are exhibited when the spirit is there. I can't even articulate to you, but I'm sure you've seen them played out in many different scenarios, all the different symptoms and attributes that that are the effects of the cause of pride. And really what it boils down to is that I want my way, and it's more about me being right then really submitting to the leadership of the Spirit and acknowledging diversity acknowledging someone has a different opinion that their opinion is valued and let's find the right decision and it's all submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit that's gonna be beneficial for the health of the body as a whole okay and it's hard to do it's hard to do right because we're all naturally prideful that's just part of the flesh the flesh wants to be prideful and the spirit is always trying to keep you meek right that's just the conflict the warfare that we're constantly in and Satan is always going to be trying to stoke that pride and making you think that that vainglory that you're, you wanna exalt yourself because look how smart you are, look how right you are, da-da-da-da-da. Satan's always gonna feed that. But the Holy Spirit will always give us humility as opposed to pride. The very first thing when Prover- in Proverbs chapter six where it talks about the things that the Lord hates and things that are an abomination to him, the very first thing that is listed is a proud look. Now it's one thing to be proud in, the Bible speaks very negatively of being proud in heart right but inevitably if you're proud in heart it's going to show up on your face right but a proud look where you you put your nose up in the air and your chin up in the air and you look down on other people the Lord hates that and children of God can start raising our Chin a little bit too high, and, and our and our our look being a little bit too proud. None of us are immune from that. I'm not immune from that, and you're not either. The Lord hates that. And you want to know what? If you allow the Holy Spirit to have its work in you, <laughs> you may be proud, prideful for a little bit. But the Lord, if you allow the Holy Spirit to have its proper work in you, you won't be prideful too long, right? The Lord knows how. Those uh, those that are have a haughty spirit and prideful are always going to be set for a fall. Well, it's during those falls that we learn to be humble, <laughs> right? It's when the Lord knocks you down a couple. But pa- that's where we learn to be humble. We are all naturally prideful, but when the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, brings circumstances in your life, and or maybe He He allows something to remain in your life, like He did with Paul and his thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to keep in that I'll tell you the Lord always overrules the wickedness of Satan that was the messenger of Satan that was the thorn in the flesh but the Lord used the messenger of Satan Satan's all about pride and lifting you up he used the he suffered the messenger of Satan to keep Paul humble (laughs) right isn't that good that the Lord satan looked at that and he said you know what he was caught up in the third heaven and people are questioning his apostleship and what he really needs to do i need to feed his pride so he can say i'm better than all the rest of y'all y'all you don't even know what i've seen in heaven and boy let me tell you if the lord hadn't have kept him humble if I mean, i'd be in that boat too if any of us came back from heaven and heard unspeakable word now he wouldn't allowed to say it but i i just have a hard time thinking i wouldn't have told anybody about it for 14 years right you would have told somebody about it <laughs> So Satan says, let me use this to exalt him. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to suffer this messenger of Satan, and I'm going to use it in the exact opposite way. Satan wants to make him prideful in using this. I'm going to suffer it to make him humble. (laughs) And that's the exact lesson that Paul received with that thorn in the flesh. So he he was prone to pride too. And the Lord... Well, this is a, and I'm still growing on this lesson myself, but I've learned it to a degree and I'm sure there's more lessons to come. But I hope that you grow in your discipleship where you can see that a thorn in the flesh to keep you humble is a blessing. It's a blessing. Now it's not, it's not pleasant, right? Cause you know, thorns, they're not fatal, but boy, they, they hurt. They're annoying. Aren't they? And that's why Paul said three times, Lord, please take it away, take it away, take it away. And the Lord said, I'm not going to take it away because this thing has a purpose to keep you humble. And you're only going to be useful in the kingdom if you stay humble. Because, Paul, if you get prideful in the kingdom, you're not going to be useful for me anymore. So it's a blessing for the Lord to have those things, those pressures, those thorns in our life that keep us humble because that's how we stay useful in the kingdom, okay? So the Holy Spirit, if we allow the Holy Spirit to have its good, acceptable, and perfect will of God work in us, it will always lead us to meekness and not to pride, right? And the other is gossip, gossip. You know, it talks about the tongue being a fire, and that is true, of your individual time, right? Uh, I'm sad to say we've probably all lived that story out. I said something I shouldn't have said, that little bitty spark started this wildfire, and it's hard to get it back in the bag. You can't ever fully get it back in the bag, but you've got to apologize to a lot of different people <laughs> when that wildfire starts. But then that's just an individual spark in our individual conversation. But now you multiply that little bitty spark times gossip, right? And we've all played the telephone game, right? You tell something to somebody, who tells something to somebody, tells something to somebody, and by the end of it, and when I say by the end of it, that's just a, little, a simple little kid exercise of just three or four people. The first thing, or the thing at the end, doesn't any, anywhere resemble what the truth was when it started, right? And that's just a simple little exercise of three or four people. But what happens when you start have people sharing all this unverified information. And then, not only are they not... Pro- we have we all have memory problems, right? I, I can't... I hope the Lord is gracious to me to, ne- to never be an eyewitness in any criminal trial. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I would hate to have to verify to say definitively of what some what the exact wording that somebody said even a, a short time ago. <laughs> Most trials don't happen for 2 or 3 years. I mean, some me saying definitively what somebody said 3 years ago. Whew, boy, I just hope I'm never in a criminal trial. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not even saying that many times gossip isn't isn't even necessarily malicious. We just have bad memories right? We have bad memories. And then not only that, on the negative side, from time to time, we can also impose our own slant and our own opinions on something that we heard and that can affect how we relay that information to someone else. It's just a reality. We're sinful people. And you you just let that compound and compound and compound and compound and inevitably it's going to cause strife and some degree of division either in the local body or the kingdom as a whole the best way that you can deal with gossip if if there is not a third if it is a third party information that is unverified unverified somebody said that somebody said or even third party hearsay let's not even add the other layer to it third party hearsay that's unverified you can you know you can listen to it but you do not need to spread anything that is third party unverified information right you just don't and if you don't do that people who love the gossip if you stop that with you they tell you some juicy whatever whatever and their intention is for it to not stop with you but for you to then spread it to other people and if you stop that with you enough the people who love gossip are not going to tell you anything you know I'm I'm mostly thankful to say I don't feel like I'm in too much of gossip circles because nobody really seems to tell me anything and I'm okay with that (laughs) for the most part right because my policy is if somebody tells me something like that if it's not verified and it's not applicable to you I'm not really gonna tell anybody else about it why because it's not my place to do that now there are circumstances for relaying factual information to interested parties and to parties that are actually involved in the situation but if it's unverified we should never spread it because all it's going to do is cause cause more problems and if someone offends us we've dealt with this in Matthew chapter 18 right you know If someone offends me before I tell a third party I've got to go deal with that issue with them directly go tell it to them directly don't go tell somebody else and say I can't believe I looked up I tried to find some stats this morning we are we are more likely this is just in the customer service realm if you have a positive customer experience studies say that you will tell nine people about that if you have a negative customer service experience you will tell 16 people about that. I kind of think those numbers are low. So <laughs> I think that we could easily say that you are at least two to three times more likely to talk about negative experiences than positive experiences. You know, we talked about, when we talked about personal evangelism, <laughs> we are all evangelists. We just need to go ahead and understand that fact. We are all evangelists. The only question is what are you evangelizing? Now, our nature is we're going to evangelize. I'll tell you, I went to <laughs> I went to a restaurant and my food was cold and I saw a cockroach crawling around in the back. You're going to tell everybody about that, right? You're going to tell everybody about your, you know, me. I get all these emails, text messages. Will you please rate your experience? Well, most stuff's a four, right? On a scale of 1 to 5, I ain't giving anybody 5. Okay? So most of the time, if you did okay, I'd give you a four. So if it's a four, I'm just gonna ignore the survey. But let me tell you, if they did horrible, I'm gonna do the survey and I'm gonna give them a one, right? (laughs) I mean, that's just the way we're wired, right? I'm gonna ignore it if they did what they were supposed to do. But let me tell you, if they did a horrible job, I'm absolutely gonna write up a review and give them a gold star one, because they did a horrible job. And we are all wired that way, right? So your natural impulse is going to be, I was offended. I'm going to tell everybody about it. Don't you do? Don't you dare do that until you talk to the person that offended you. That's unbiblical. That's not just good advice. That's unbiblical to spread gossip, even if it. And I say gossip things that happen to you if you haven't dealt with that person directly yet. Okay, that's directly contrary to Scripture. Uh, I do want to get a couple verses in Proverbs before we conclude because these are just good life lessons to talk about. Uh, Proverbs chapter 26, Boy, this applies in church, it applies in personal relationships, it applies in the workplace. Uh, Proverbs chapter 26 and in verse 17. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, belonging not to him, is like one that taketh the dog by the ear. And let's say a dog, you know, we... We've got a little bit bitty cute little shih tzu at home. These are not domesticated dogs that you love that are adorable. These are like coyotes and hyenas and these vicious wild dogs. This is not cute little domesticated dogs. So which of you is gonna go up to a coyote and pick up the ears to that coyote and say, what a cute little coyote, you know? You don't know what you're gonna do? You're gonna get bit, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get don't meddle with stuff that's not your business. The the vibe, the New Testament consistently talks about not being a busybody in other men's matters. If it's another men's matter, it's not your business, so leave it alone, right? You're gonna get in, you're you're gonna be hurt. You know, it's not just that you're gonna you're gonna cause other problems, there's no doubt about that. But you're gonna get hurt by taking that dog by the ears. You're the one that's gonna get hurt. So just leave it alone. If it's not your business. It's not your business, leave it alone, right? Verse 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. And where there is no talebearer, strife ceaseth. Boy, what words of wisdom, right? You know, and there's some people, Lord, just give us grace. But there are some people that don't ever want the fire to go out, it's just life. There are some people that don't want peace. <laughs> there are some people that don't want unity. They don't ever want the fire to go out because they love being in the fray and feeling like, and I think a lot of that funnels back to pride. They want to feel like they know more than other people. They want to elevate themselves above other people. And some people always want to stoke the flame. And that's why it's even more incumbent upon us to make sure we're the people throwing water on the flame, right? <laughs> if there's always trying, somebody trying to stoke it, then it's very incumbent upon us to be the people who are always trying to put the fire out instead of stoking the flame. So a church that is in one accord, in unity, one heart, one soul, singleness of mind, singleness of heart, going back to Acts chapter 2 to conclude, uh, I think we're getting close to the end of this series. I'm very bad at wrapping things up, so I'm trying to figure out the best way to wrap this up. Maybe one more message. But one of the main things I want to take away from this is the daily, and we may consider that next week, the daily activities of the kingdom. Okay? What we need to be doing on a daily basis. So what happens when the church was in unity? These are all effects of what happens when the church is in unity. They desire to spend time with one another in breaking of bread and fellowship. They desire to uh, have these specific, concentrated prayer meetings. Fear came upon every soul, signs and wonders, radical generosity, all these things. But what happened when the church was in unity? verse 47 praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. you know I've seen this in other places and I, and I would like to say want to make sure you're not left with the wrong impression. I believe our church is in unity okay we can all do better I could do better you could do better but it's not like we have these huge fractures right no we're, we're in unity. But think about it, if a church is not in unity, and I've seen from the outside looking in churches that are not, it is not in the best interest of any sheep to go to a church that is fractured in division, right? Because if that's a young little babe in Christ that doesn't know any better, that's how people get a horrible taste in their mouth of primitive Baptists never want to walk back in the door. If they show into a church go into a church that's fractured in divisiveness and just like that church in Corinth, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Jesus, which side are you gonna take? <laughs> well, that just expect that sheep to be totally lost to the kingdom. Okay? So if a church is truly fractured in that way, do you think that's a church that the Lord really wants to send his hungering sheep to? No, right? No, that's not in their spiritual health at all. But a church that's in unity, that love one another, that functions and submits to the leadership of the head of Jesus Christ as the body, that is where the Lord in his providential guidance of his spirit is going to direct his hungering sheep to, right? That's where he's going to send them to. And I've been praying, I hope the Lord blesses us here in Macedonia, but I just don't want numbers, I've been praying, Lord, Psalm 127, said the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Lord, you build your house with the right lively stones for this body. I don't want numbers. I don't want just people in the pew that are going to gossip and they're going to cause problems. But if we are in unity, I think that is a body that the Lord will direct to send people to because it's going to be healthy for that sheep spiritual growth right so the effect of all of this stuff you know it's also intricately connected right we've been talking about all these attributes we've been talking about the fruit of the kingdom if you'll let me put it that way well really what it all boils down to is the Spirit of God is moving strongly in the kingdom and these are all the attributes of the movement of the Holy Spirit And what is going to be the chief attribute of the movement of the Holy Spirit? God's not the author of confusion. God's the author of what? Peace, of unity, right? So the Lord, if the Spirit is guiding and moving in His kingdom, there will be unity. And when there's unity, what a great foundational base for the Lord to send people to strengthen that body to where it can grow and they can be edified, right? And that's certainly our hope and prayer, that we can submit to the Holy Spirit be of one accord and of one mind and one soul. And our hope is that God is faithful. We know He's faithful. <laughs> we know He's always faithful. But that He would be faithful to allow our specific aspect and area of the kingdom to grow when we're just simply submitting to the mind of the Holy Spirit in the manner that we're called to. And that's certainly our prayer that the Lord would bless this area of the kingdom but we pray for the kingdom as a whole you know uh, there's so many aspects of you know yes there are people from this community that the Lord could send to us that are standing in need and we pray for that but the Lord may be allowing people that are raised in other parts of the country that may through the providence of God end up in on our doorstep right we don't just pray short sighted within a you know so many mile radius no we just pray for the kingdom (laughs) and lord you direct your kingdom and you direct your sheep according to your will as you see fit right and if we're in unity i think the lord bless us i think he will because more than anything we're trying to honor the head we're trying to glorify jesus christ and we certainly hope the lord would would be gracious to us here in this specific location but also in the whole kingdom i'd love to see the the whole kingdom just growing and thriving. And more than anything, I'd love to see the kingdom in unity (laughs) in one heart and one soul. And we certainly pray the Spirit would move us unto that. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.